I'm Martin Reeves, Chairman of the Beastie Henderson Institute. Welcome to our Thinkers and Ideas podcast, where we discuss important new books and ideas in business. Joining me today is Fei-Fei Lee. Fei-Fei is currently a professor of computer science at Stanford University and co-director of the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered AI, which he founded. After moving to the US from China at the age of 15, she rose to become on the cutting edge of AI research over a period of 20 years, earning her a place in Time Magazine of one of the most influential voices and thinkers in AI. And she's also worked in business. In addition to working in academia, she's been the chief machine learning and AI scientist at Google, for example, and has founded and run a nonprofit called AI for All. So I think it's a very broad view of the subject. And earlier this month, she published a very interesting memoir Interesting because it's her personal life story and career journey spanning two countries, but also it's the story of the evolution of AI. So I really look forward to discussing both of those aspects with you, Fei-Fei, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Martin, for inviting me. So let's start with the personal journey, Fei-Fei. Your book is very much about your journey coming to America at the age of 15 and rising through the US educational system. And one of the things, of course, that people think a lot about is, is our education system fit for the future? And you've actually experienced the Chinese education system and the US education system. Do you have any observations on the relative strengths and weaknesses and future fitness of both education systems? First of all, this book is a science memoir, and I emphasize on the word science. It really is using memoir to carry the science story. I want people to read this as an AI book. They learn about AI. I'm not interesting, in my opinion. I think AI is more interesting, but I did talk about my journey. I came to this country when I was 15, so I actually don't feel I'm a learned scholar of a comparative study of two education systems. I just want to be humble and frank about that. I benefited a lot from American education system since I was 15, and especially it's uh, room for growth, for, for freedom, for exploration, for curiosity, and the people that have supported me. I did benefit from, just in my own personal early history, a rigorous STEM education because of the school, the middle school I went to in a city in China. And I I'm very appreciative of that, but I do want to just be frank that most of my experience is American education system. Let me dig into a couple of aspects of that, which I think are, in a sense, scientific questions. One of them was, you know, your background in physics seems to have advantaged you in uh, pursuing AI, but of course, AI is changing as a discipline. With with people considering getting into the subject, do you think that's a a good grounding for future AI scientists? Or do you think there are other disciplines that will become critical? Yeah, I have been very outspoken. AI is so expensive and horizontal right now that I see all disciplines contributing to AI and AI contributing to all disciplines. So from that point of view, I actually think compared to when I entered AI about two decades ago, this is a much wider, broader more horizontal, and frankly, more impactful field. So whether you're from law or art or political science or computer science, physics, chemistry, 
AI can be used as a tool to advance your discipline, and also you turn around and use the disciplinary training to make AI better, whether it's the technology itself or the tool to discover new science or to make AI more responsible and all that. Personally, I benefited from physics training as a scientist. Right, it's a deeply, deeply mathematically rigorous field. It's also a deeply, deeply Hypothesis-driven field, which in my book I continue to come back to the theme of North Star. As a scientist, you look for those North Stars, and I was trained to think that way from a physics point of view, and it really did help me. I think one thing that a lot of CEOs ask me because they're worrying about the future, they they have to think about the future is what should their sons and daughters study in order to be future fit, and the answers are not so obvious in the sense that. You know, currently we're reading that computer programming that resulted in the AI may actually be, to some extent, automated away. So there may be some some predictable shifts in the value of different disciplines. So in in terms of being future ready as as human beings and and considering the disruptive potential of AI, what are some of the things you need? Do you think we may need to play up in the education system? Yeah. So Martin, I'm also an educator, and I actually think future ready. First of all, I love the phrase. Second is a very nuanced topic. There is the future ready in terms of jobs and just personal productivity, but there is also future ready in terms of your journey as a person. And one theme about this book is that I happen to love the science of AI before the world even knew about this discipline. So it was deeply curiosity and passion driven. And I think no matter how technology advances, it is very important for young people to look for that inner voice, that inner north star, and to go after their curiosity and passion. In the meantime, AI as an important piece of technology is shifting job landscape, you know, labor market, and of course, the future of the labor market. Is gonna look different from today. For example, you mentioned software engineering as a as a coveted industry will be impacted. I don't have a precise prediction of are we seeing the decline of software engineers or just the shifting of the jobs. So I think for young people who want to you know make a difference in the world, it is important for them to be aware of AI's future impact because. Even if you want to be an archaeologist studying the past, using AI as a tool might be actually deeply useful for you, right? So, from that point of view, still I encourage young people to look within, look for their passion and curiosity, and leverage on the new tools. Well, you emphasize that your book is is mainly a scientific story, so let's maybe get into the science side of things. So AI. In the course of your career, has gone from, as you said, something that not a lot of people were excited about. You know, the, all of the early promise somehow stagnated, and now somehow we we got to today, where a huge proportion of venture capital funding is going into the area. It's a topic of conversation that affects every aspect of business and society. If you look back, what were some of the the key milestones in getting from the early days of AI to today? What were these sort of points of progress, let's say, or the inflection points? Yeah, a great question, and I, you know, when I answer this, I'm always afraid of、uh, offending someone if I don't say all of them. But let me just be brief because of time constraint. 
first of all, AI is a field of 60 plus 60, 70 years old. So we go back to the founding thinkers, you know, from Alan Turing challenging humanity with the question, can machines think? To the Dartmouth group of founding fathers of AI who are computer scientists like John McCarthy and Marvin Minsky, who actually wrote pretty much one of the first white papers of what an AI artificial intelligence system should look like. They also give the name artificial intelligence to the field. And they, you know, they pointed us to the kind of reasoning and inference ability we should build. And that is a milestone, right? It kind of established the birth of the field. And then you get into a, a long stretch of, say, expert reasoning-based work, expert systems, first-order logic. And then there, you know, it's a lot of work that's, in today's opinion, outdated. But again, it moved the field forward. It laid foundations. And then you get to the 80s and 90s when your network was born. Along with other statistical machine learning techniques. And this is when AI is really under the radar of the public. No one would call those events a public inflection point. But as an AI scientist, we have to give credit to those periods where deep science is being advanced and discovered. And of course, I am biased, but I think I entered the field of AI right at the beginning of the century. And it, it is where data and statistical machine learning and more advanced chips are starting to come together. It was still early days. The internet was just born and we're seeing the, the on-ramp of data, but we haven't appreciated that. But by 2009, my own team published the ImageNet paper. I think in hindsight, that was A moment of big data's birth in AI, and it was validated in 2012 when the convergence—the first time the convergence of big data using ImageNet neural network algorithm and two GPU chips—got the first deep learning system to do something that is remarkable, which was an image classification task that my lab has put forward as the ImageNet challenge. So that was definitely an inflection point. It was also the first inflection point. I would say modern days, modern AI, where industry start take note, and this is where Google's and and Facebooks of the world start to actually invest in AI internally. And then, of course, AlphaGo was a inflection point in terms of bringing reinforcement learning into the scene, but more importantly, getting public curiosity. You know, after all. AI did beat a human master in Go, and then I would say a smaller one, but equally impressive, was AlphaFold by Google, where you know using AI to discover protein folding algorithm that that was really an advancement of scientific discovery. And then really the latest inflection point that truly I think is the moment of coming of age of modern AI is ChatGPT, almost precisely a year ago. It puts the entire public, especially policy world, it just made them fully awakened to this power of this technology. And you know, we're in a different chapter since then. That's a great sort of potted、uh, summary there, and I like the way you brought together the three elements of the of the chip and the neural network and the data set. Because I was asking myself, reading your book, 
you know, what accounted for this stagnation and then this leap in progress? And I think it's those three elements. I guess something which the public doesn't know a lot about or, or business people don't know a lot about is, you know, we're currently legitimately obsessed with transformer large language models because there's been enormous progress there. Presumably, there, there are a whole bunch of other technologies and problems in the wings which we'll be focusing on next. What are some of the maybe emerging technologies that we may be more focused on in the, uh, in the coming years? Well, the family of generative models is not just transformer. Transformer is especially powerful for sequence-to-sequence models for you know language, but in the domain of vision and images, we're seeing diffusion models that is very, very powerful in generating pixels, right? And we're also seeing 3D algorithms that turn the world into an actual 3D structural understanding. And you, you combine that with videos, you suddenly have a whole different opening of a different genre of possibilities. And I personally am very excited by the progress of both this computer vision, as well as, you know, what's coming in the horizon, which would be robotic learning. And uh, that's another really important area of progress to be made. So yes, it's language is a huge part of AI and human intelligence, but it's not the only part. Our ability to perceive the world, understand the world, make decisions, interact with the world, and be creative, be imaginative, is all in the horizon. I guess apart from the functionality of of AI, another hot topic of of discussion and debate is societal support and, and regulation. And it's interesting that, you know, a number of champions of AI such as Mustafa Suleiman and, and others and people at OpenAI have you know, come out with fairly stark warnings of the, of the dangers. So I wanted to ask you your view on the societal dangers and the measures that we might think about taking, because I believe you're in that game very early, having founded the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered AI that worried about the, the human and ethical issues involved. Yeah, well, thanks for calling that out, Martin. Indeed, we were the first institute that's not only looking at the technology, but also the social implications of AI as a piece of technology. And I still do believe, after five years of funding HAI, Human Centered AI Institute, that this should be framed in a human-centered way. I think the topic of responsible AI, societal impact, and uh, ethical framework is quite nuanced. And this is where I differ from just you know, soundbite rhetoric. I think, for example, there are many social risks, many of them immediate and pressing from bias to privacy to disinformation to longer-term job and labor disruption. And if not handled well as a society, as a humanity, as a species, this can turn into catastrophic social risks you know, whether it induces economic pain or geopolitical conflict or just, you know, harmful to individuals, especially underserved, underprivileged communities. All these are really serious issues. And I think we need to take a nuanced approach. Right now, the debate of AI tends to be, are you A or B? Are you with this or are you not with this? It's too profound and nuanced a technology to to call it A or B. For example, right, like even bias 
is a very profound issue. Like on one hand, we absolutely need to guard against bias. That is just very important. On the other hand, for example, I work in healthcare, and some of my technology is being developed to help elderly to be safe, especially, for example, fall. Well, I'm explicitly calling out that group of people because they have more, you know, brittle bones. They they have chronic diseases, higher concentration of chronic diseases that would result into these unsafe situation. Now, is this a bias? Should I not pay attention? Should I de-emphasize aging population and just make it completely equal for everybody? Or should I focus my data set on elderlies that are, you know, more in danger? This might be an easy question for you to answer, but I just I'm using this as an example to illustrate what we need are not just sound bites. We really, really need a nuanced, thoughtful approach with multi-stakeholders who actually understand the technology, the ethics, the law, the use cases, and and all that. Let's maybe dig in to that a little more then and go go beyond the sound bites. I guess one question is that is the calibration of the risk. I mean, any new technology has you know dangers and and fears associated with it. I was I was reading the other day about the social obsession with the uh, dangers of the telephone when it's first introduced. People believe that marriages would break down because unrestricted communication would lead to the propositioning of women and the breakdown of society. And you know it turned out to be an exaggeration. And and some people have written, some AI specialists have written that no, this is a this is a special type of risk. This is an elevated risk. This is a a fundamental risk to society. In your view, is this just you know, just a technology that needs to be handled responsibility, as with all technologies, or are there special elevated risks with this particular type of technology? Yeah, I have two points to make here, Martin. First point is, look, most of my career is in academia. This is where a lot of discussions and intellectual discourse happen, ranging from more concrete, like how do we create a better battery? All the way to more intellectual, like what is the definition of consciousness, right? So from that point of view, I actually respect some of the debate of is this an existential crisis for the human species? If it is, what kind of form and shape it will take? I respect that as a intellectual topic, and I think it's worth debating as long as we don't mislead the public and we don't create hype. That's one thing. Second, your question is really fundamentally about trustworthy explanation and evaluation and assessment. And this is what I have been calling out: is public sector investment of AI. I met with President Biden in June. I testified in the Senate in the fall, and I have been repeatedly saying that it is so important. In this moment of such a powerful technology being created, we need to invest in our public sector because, by and large, public sector is an independent source of explanation, assessment, and evaluation of what this technology is about. You mentioned you earlier. Our institute earlier this this fall actually created a, a piece of study. 
that uh, look at the current large language models against the proposed EU AI Act transparency measures. And then we, we benchmark against all of these released models. And I think for most of the public, you would trust a result like ours from Stanford because we're nonprofit, we're neutral. We don't have a motive to sell one piece of large language model versus the other. So that's really important. And I hope public sector plays an even bigger role in this. Yes, no, that sounds like an important point because, of course, it's, it's very common in regulating new technologies that there's an enormous lag because the public sector is the last sector to embrace the new technologies, indeed. Exactly. Well, we must, of course, since our audience is senior business people, address business. And most of your career has been spent in academia, but you, you have served in industry too. There's a sense that AI will transform businesses. Although, in fact, as of today, I mean, I think there are not many transformative demonstrated applications in business. There's just a lot of excitement and experimentation. Do you have a view on how business will be transformed, which parts of business especially, on roughly what timescale? How do you see the transformation potential of AI towards business? I think it's actually enormous, Martin. I think business will be transformed because this is a tool that can make a lot of business in terms of products, services, and also the business operations more efficient, more effective, deliver more value. And, and business is always, there's a gravitational pull of business to adopt tools that does all of the above or some of the above. Uh, look, a lot of business today is built upon knowledge layers, whether it's customer information, you know, customer preference, or it's supply chain, or it's, you know, market research or whatever it is. And in some of the business like healthcare, it's a ton of, you know, lab results, radiology results, treatment plans, drugs, and all that. All this data knowledge layer now is up for updates with this new technology, especially in language models. And I, I think there's more to come, right? Like, for example, optimizing decision-making, optimizing personalization and customization, and eventually even in the multimodal layers, whether it's images, videos, and, and all that. So in short, I think every vertical industry will be impacted, especially if you already have data or are thinking about, or I hope you are already thinking about how to leverage on your data, then it's guaranteed that AI will be a powerful player in that. Well, if I can invite you into to my field for a second, so my field is strategy. And one thing I worry about is not just the functional impact of a technology, but the location of competitive advantage. So I think about competitive advantage, I can think that it's probably with the providers, perhaps, you know, rather than the users of AI. I can think it might be, as with the gold rush, the picks and shovels, it may be, you know, that the, the chip manufacturers will be advantaged because they're a sort of a bottleneck in the entire process. I can imagine that open source algorithms are not a particularly, they may be highly functional and impactful, but not a great source of competitive advantage if they're freely available to all. So thinking about winners and losers as, as in this transformation of business, how do you think about competitive advantage? Where is the potential advantage in business? I think, again, some of the principles still applies, like deeply, deeply understanding 
the value you bring to your customer and translate that into the product and services and leverage AI to optimize that. And of course, I think data truly matters, like making sure you have good data, you you respect data, your data has integrity, your customers and partners trust the way you use data, but then built upon that layer of responsible use, take advantage of data and truly connect your you know digital asset, which is your data, to the services you deliver, the products you deliver. And that connectivity is AI plus good business decisions, right? And then you also close the loop because by the time you deliver that, you get more data and then you create an auspicious cycle of that. So I think businesses in general are very excited about AI. Maybe it's early days in terms of their learnings and their applications, but it is a subject of board and management team discussions. So beyond general excitement, what are the questions you'd hope that every board is thinking about or asking right now in in connection to AI? Well, yeah. So first of all, I'm glad that everybody is excited, but we need to translate that into more concrete action. (laughs) First of all, I think a good degree of education. I think today, business leaders, no matter what field you're in, it is your responsibility to educate yourself about what this is. You don't need to do Python code. But you need to understand what this technology is and staff your team, whether it's in the boardroom or in the management or, you know, your, your tech team or whatever, with the right kind of expertise and also participate in skilling and training your own team members, including yourself. That's definitely one thing because having understanding and coming up with a good strategy for future proof is so important. Second is to apply this human-centered AI thinking because, you know, this is data, this is decision-making. A lot of things are entangled with consequential human impact, including unintended consequences. So understanding the guardrails, understanding the boundaries, not only legal boundary, but also ethical boundaries is really important because you need brand safety. You know, you need your community, both your own employee as well as your customer and partners feel safe. And this is also why Stanford Human Center AI Institute created a industry partnership program. And I'm very uh, happy to talk to anybody. Is that because we see ourselves in the ecosystem while we are neutral, we're not profit seeking, but we are educators and technologists and uh, social scientists and legal scholars and economists and all that. And we want to help in creating a more healthier ecosystem. So it's a vast subject and I wish we could go deeper and broader, but unfortunately we're nearly out of time. So maybe I can end with a more personal question. So you are on the forefront of your field. You, you have been for, for many years. So I think it's interesting for people to know, for our listeners to know, what will you be working on next? Where will you be focusing your efforts and, and why? So what are, you, what are your current passions and, and plans as to what comes next for, for you? Yeah, I'm still so deeply excited by technology, Martin. To me, you know, even the book says I return to the singular identity, professional identity that mattered the most to me is being a scientist, is inventing the next science. And this is why I'm seeing beyond the large language models. I, I want to continue to make progress in AI. In the meantime, I also believe 
the collective work we're doing at Stanford's Human Centered AI Institute, and I hope to, you know, get that to a a second phase of development and and growth in that. Very good. Well, thanks so much for sharing these thoughts with me, Feifei, and、uh, congratulations on the book. Thank you, Martin. I've been discussing the worlds I see, which is the new book by Feifei Li, which came out earlier this month, November 2023, from Flatiron Books. A very interesting and important book, I think. Interesting and important because number one, it's accessible. Number two, it's not only focused on the here and now, but the entire technological journey of of how we got here. And also, I think looking at the human aspects with equal weight to the technological aspects. So I think at this time when executives are trying to educate themselves on this technology and its implications, I think. Not a difficult read, but I think a broad and、uh, an important read, which I would strongly recommend. So, if you like this conversation, make sure you're subscribed to Thinkers and Ideas on your favorite podcasting platform. And as always, we welcome your feedback.